Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Media for Progress, where we bring people together to discuss our relationship with democracy. I'm Edwin. I'm the son of Mexican immigrants, and I'm a community organizer. On this episode, we will have a discussion on immigration reform with Adriana Cerrillo. Adriana, hi. Hi, Edwin. It's a pleasure to be here with you and your audience. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Adriana Cerrillo. I was born in Reynosa, Tamaulipas, Mexico, uh, and that's uh, in the border region with uh, the area of uh, McAllen, Hidalgo, Texas, the East Coast. And um, when I was uh, 15 years old, uh, we moved to Brownsville, Texas. And the reason that we did is because uh, my youngest brother is a US citizen and he was in need of uh, special education services. So my mother said, nos vamos, we're, we're leaving. And I was not very happy with my mother. You can imagine, you know, a young teenager, you know, uh, living my life and becoming an undocumented immigrant, you know, immediately uh, was something that was not very easy for me to do. We lived in um, Bronzeville in, uh, for two years. And then from there, we moved to McAllen uh, to be closer to, to to Reynosa. When I was 18, I moved to Florida. I lived in Florida where I got married and had my children uh, for 20 years. And I've been in Minnesota uh, in the city of Minneapolis for the last eight years. Uh, I'm a mother, I'm an activist. I've been a community organizer and uh, I'm a business owner. And this past November, I got elected to represent District 4 in Minneapolis uh, Public Schools. So it's, Thank you. it's all over the place. Who <laughs> 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 oh, am I? Do we have enough time to talk? <laughs> well, our topic today is immigration reform. Um, and I, I wanted to start off by thinking of others. You know, why should others be concerned with immigration reform? Why not? That's the question. And when, uh, this is a topic uh, and an issue uh, that affects all of us. You know, I mean, just to begin with, it's, um, it's an economic issue. It's a moral issue and a safety issue. So when it comes to uh, the economic aspect of it, uh, it's, we have uh, millions of people living in the shadows not being able to fully participate in the mainstream of society, being able to contribute uh, fully to the economy. And also I was, uh, I was listening to this uh, report, Edwin, that says that uh, in the United States uh, we're uh, having a huge increase of the aging population. So what is gonna happen you know, with that? And uh, I'm not an expert when it comes to economics. Uh, that's not my forte. You know, but we can look at the numbers and understand how this will impact and benefit our economy. When it comes to the safety issue, uh, Edwin, for me, is it's beneficial for me to know who's in my community. Like, I want to be able to have people that are registered, you know, to that have an identification, that are registered either with the city or, you know, with the state to have an identification and to know where we can attract uh, these individuals. And uh, we have seen a lot of abuses as well, you know, from people that do benefit from undocumented uh, immigrants. And, you know, that's the moral issue to me as well. And, yeah. 
right? So it's, it's just, why not, Edwin? That's, that's the question to me. Why should we not be paying attention to something that is, uh, has been buried, but uh, we need to bring this up to the forefront and uh, bring comprehensive immigration reform to be a top priority for every person in uh, the United States. That's true. And you're someone who has personal experience with this. I mean, you're living it now. Yes, Edwin. I mean, it's, uh, as I mentioned, you know, my own story, I uh, became an undocumented immigrant, you know, immediately. And throughout the years, you know, I was able to get my documentation in order, but that was not the, the reality, you know, for many family members. And uh, for the last three years, I have been taking care of one of my nephews. He's currently 12 years old. And the reason that uh, he's with me is because uh, his mom self-deported when he was little and she brought him to uh, Michoacan, Mexico. That's where she currently lives. And I don't know if you remember, you know, like the, the, the chaos and all the unsafe, um, you know, realities that were happening in Michoacan. People being killed, you know, raped. And um, so we decided that it was for his safety, you know, to, to bring him with me. So yeah, we're working uh, well, hopefully petitioning her and you know being able to bring her to be with uh, her children because uh, I have one of them but uh, recently I gained uh, <laughs> another nephew uh, that uh, they are brothers and and they need their, they need their mom you know it, it affects me in ways that that I can I cannot tell you how much it hurts me you know because uh my mother, for example, you know, she passed away three years ago. She had been living, you know, uh, with us here in the United States since we we moved back in 1988. But because she had a prior deportation, we were not able to get her documents in order. And that's the reality until now. So when people say, get in line, there's no line for people that don't qualify, you know, to be able to get their documents in order. Yeah, this this is, um, I'm very sorry uh, for your loss. And this, this is so terrible. And this is something, this same story plays out in Asian immigrant uh, communities, in Caribbean immigrant communities, and so many people from all around the world who are in, who are facing similar challenges. Um, and this is actually also how you and I met, uh, just the importance of this issue. I, I was long ago, but it, it was out of um, our concern with then uh, candidate Rick Scott getting elected and um, that, that vigil. I know, I remember this clearly. Uh, this was, uh, well, my, my full, uh, you know, involvement to doing um, such a justice work and you know work for the immigrant communities uh, also was with the experience that I had uh, back in 2007 when I met a young mother of three that was in need of uh, medical assistance and she didn't qualify and she wasn't documented you know so it's just 
it's very real in the sense of how people are treated as second class citizens or even, you know, third, fourth, I don't know what, how many classes we can have, right? That we don't consider some human beings, human beings. But uh, yeah, I remember when we met, uh, it was in a visual that I remembered that faith leaders, community leaders, uh, and law enforcement also participated in. It was in Bradenton, Florida. <laughs> yes, it was, it was beautiful. It was pretty beautiful. I remember we uh, like walked for several blocks and then the, um, the event culminated in the uh, doorsteps of the Bradenton Courthouse. And it was beautiful. Everybody was uh, carrying their little candles and singing, you know, songs of justice and praying for something that people believe that was just and moral. Yeah, that was- No, it, it really is. It's inspiring. I mean, it, and from uh, the perspective of a community that needs something that can only pass with the help of others, it's such a blessing to see so many allies. I think you mentioned faith, but you mentioned also law enforcement. You know, that that's um, that's not what necessarily people would expect. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, there's those safety concerns. Absolutely, absolutely. And just to be able to, to understand what we are asking for is something that, you know, we have a, a moral obligation as a country uh, to be able to protect individuals, you know, and uh, be able to, to amend our sins in a way, Edwin. It is what it is to me, you know, it has to do with uh, the, the enactment of uh, policies that really have harmed, you know, many communities. And uh, we have to deal with that reality as a nation as well. As much as I love the United States, you know, there are many things that we need to admit um, and just making things better, you know, just in general, so that we can truly say that our country, you know, um, is a nation that we embrace people of all different backgrounds and that we are working towards a just society. I think that's such an important point because it's terrible how in this issue, the people who ended up blamed are the poor people who are doing the work for corporations that produces billions and billions of dollars in revenue, right? So we end up blaming them for contributing to a system that makes not only these corporations, but all of us in this country, a lot of, lot of money. Uh, they're 3.4% of the population, and it shouldn't surprise us that about $680 billion in, in revenues in gross domestic product are generated by that population, doing jobs that otherwise get neglected by Americans. And so... It's really frustrating how instead of having all of these people who are upset about immigration protesting at the corporations that are profiting, right? Why aren't all of these governors that are taking police resources that are needed in their own community for safety, instead of taking those police and going to arrest the corporations that are profiting from undocumented work and enforcing those laws and demanding harsher punishment, you know, if they weren't, if this wasn't a racist politic, that's where you'd go. 
right? Because there's no chance to round up 11 million. That's absurd. But you can go after the small, much, much smaller number of corporations that profit, but we don't have that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, we, you know, those of us that understand, you know, the reality of, uh, you know, it is just part of uh, the system that was created, you know, and for me, so I, I lived in Florida, you know, I know Florida, I lived there for 20 years and we did a lot of work, you know, to, to stop, you know, racist laws, <laughs> remember that. Uh, I mean, yeah. We work in collaboration, you know, with many different organizations uh, and we created partnerships, you know, to bring uh, a coalition strong, you know, uh, together that we had a clear vision of what was needed. But um, yeah, we, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, you know, and uh, it is beautiful that we're having this conversation because uh, to me, uh, the issue of comprehensive immigration reform uh, is something that we should not be forgetting about and we should be reviving it and not pretend that uh, millions of people are living in the shadows. And not only that, that children are being affected by this too. So I guess we should then get into some of the things, the, the misunderstandings, the primary misunderstandings that people have that are being used by anti-immigrant politicians to confuse things. What are some of the things that you've come across that, that you think are, are confusing the issue? Well, it's like the misinformation of many, right? And I feel like it has to do with education. And when I talk about education, it's not like go to Harvard University and get a degree. <laughs> inform yourselves, inform yourselves, you know, uh, that, um, that's not the reality in many communities. And uh, unfortunately, many politicians, and we have seen this, you know, become the reality, have used uh, the topic of comprehensive immigration reform as a political football for their own political gain. Uh, so one of the things is like, you know, they're illegal, it's like, and it's just, it's, it's sad that, you know, I put myself in their shoes and if I, wouldn't know any better, I would probably be, you know, thinking like them too, if I was not informing myself. You know, no human being is illegal. I mean, people come up uh, with terms to dehumanize others and then to come up with justifications so that we, we can create uh, policies to oppress people. And uh, one of the things that I feel that we don't talk about is also the corruption behind, you know, all of this. I mean, it's the privatization of uh, of uh, the detention centers. <laughs> that is a right? motive. Yes, Edwin. I, I want to stay positive and keep grounded and uh, be able to to motivate uh, and inspire others that we can definitely move forward uh, as a nation and have comprehensive immigration reform become a reality. My understanding what needs to be done. Like I give an example, I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, but I'm helping to organize two uh, congressional districts in my state to ensure that we don't lose those seats because it means how many votes away, you know, from not attaining comprehensive immigration reform. So I'd rather stay grounded and focus on that, Edwin. That makes a lot of sense. 
and there is support to organize. So we, there are 68% of people who believe or agree with a pathway uh, to citizenship. And that kind of support makes it very possible. We should go out there in the community with confidence. The, the challenge we run into is how people are, are, are coming across things like the, um, the recent uh, situation at the border. And the polling there is really bad. So when asked recently, uh, a Harvard-Harris poll from uh, June 15th said 67% support turning back people um, and 64% support stricter border policies. Um, and so the, the, the divide seems that while many are not ready to admit a lot more people, they are willing to do the right thing with these 11 million that are here. Um, so that's, that's where we need to stay focused. So why, if there's all of that support, why have we had trouble then getting immigration reform passed? We haven't had the numbers, Edwin, that's the reality. We haven't had the numbers and I feel in my humble opinion that um, we shifted and I say we, because I have been uh, organizing for a comprehensive immigration reform for years is that uh, many of us in the movement shifted to the wrong you know, uh, strategy, which was to attack President Obama. And you know, to me, I, I get it and I understand because I've been in conversations and debates and arguments with many of you know, my people that- uh, I remember. People, right? <laughs> that many people didn't understand you know, like what was inherited uh, from the Bush administration, you know, the uh, safe communities, you know, all the money that was given to law enforcement um, by Congress, you know, to come up with ways of protecting our communities from these illegal aliens, right? So it's just, uh, yes, it's, we need to just recapture not only the conversation and importance of comprehensive immigration reform, but to keep it real real in the sense of uh, what does our state look like? And if there are some congressional districts that are very vulnerable, we need to pay attention to that and also make a difference, get involved. If we cannot, if I cannot commute from, you know, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for example, to Red Wing, Minnesota, how do I ensure that I support organizations, entities, groups that are doing the organizing work to keep uh, those districts, you know, in our favor? That's the way to, to keep things real, right? I mean, we need to understand politics 101 at when we just do, you know, and so many times what we are doing as organizers, you know, we want it now, we need it. Yes, of course, but we must invest of ourselves, of our time, of our money to make a difference. Yeah, there's common everyday experience that we can apply to this. So, you know, if you've ever been a part of, of helping people make a buying decision, you know, you've got to make sure that 
you get the agreement of all the key decision makers. You know, if it's a business, if it's a church, if it's a union, it doesn't matter. There are elected leaders or there are the key individuals with the influence and you've got to do the work of making sure that you're understanding where they are, you're tracking where they are, and you're getting them to commit to that, right? And, and I keep pointing, I'm going to have to interrupt that when you hear, no. if not all. <laughs> yeah, democracy says, you can get them all. Democracy <laughs> says, I know you're going the whole way. I would say the vast majority of people, the vast majority, that's where we went. If not all of them, you know, I mean, it's like, unfortunately, we're not going to get everyone, you know, to agree. <laughs> but if we get the vast majority in those vulnerable districts, I mean, we got it. You know, we got it going and we can definitely win this, you know, because comprehensive immigration reform uh, or any type of reform, we need to have the vast majority in order to make it, you know, a law. Oh, it's so true. You know, and I like that you mentioned the distractions um, or the, the, the poor strategic choices. You know, this decision with Obama, like you said, um, the previous Congress and the previous administration increased money for deportations by 60% from 2003 to 2006. And usually it takes a couple of years for funding to really fully take effect. So by the time Obama came into office, that 60% was on its way to producing a 60%, those 60% of funding increase was on its way to producing a 60% increase in deportations, right? And so it's awful after a black man helps us win so many Senate seats. He helps us win so many seats in Congress. He helps us get the agreement of almost like 98% plus of his party in support, then we're not gonna do the basic history check. Are we blaming him fairly? And we're neglecting what gave us the opportunity in the first place, which was organizing our people's representative power so that they elect people to office that support their positions. And before 2006, we didn't have a majority in Congress that was supportive of comprehensive immigration reform. We did the work. That's where we had, we had the opportunity to, to win. And I remember that moment in 2013. It was the summer of 2013. It had passed in the Senate with 67 votes, right? And we only had 200 people of the 218 that we needed. And at the time, the immigrant community had done the kind of work that you talked about. And it was so powerful. And we'd done the work in different states and in different congressional districts. And if we had decided at that moment that we were going to protect everyone who had supported comprehensive immigration reform, we could have easily done that. And I want to believe, and I've seen it happen in 2006 and 2008, that if we had said, we are going to win 18 house seat districts, we could have done that work and come either all the way there or very close. And then instead of enabling them, the people who blocked immigration reform and rewarding them by attacking their chief political opponent, we could have grown immigrant community power through that win. And I feel like so many times as uh, community organizers, we should like do a politics 101 class. <laughs> 
how many, how many votes do we need, uh, Mr. Enciso? Can you please tell me <laughs> how many votes do we need in Congress? It's not fair that we don't get enough of this kind of education because it does seem that people want to do the right thing and that they really do love democracy when they experience it. And if you help them understand, this is where you have support. These are the vulnerable districts. So if, if we make sure that these districts are held, that's how the conversation advances. Just like in our churches and in our labor halls and in business, you have to get the agreement of those leaders, the majority, in order to get your proposals passed. We have to do the same thing in this republic. You've got to get a supermajority of the Senate, as close to 60 as you can get, and you need at least 218 in the House. And you, in order to do that, you also need to make sure you're taking care of your allies, those people who are willing to support us. We have to be as willing to support them as we want to be supported. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... I mean, but I feel that maybe it's part of, uh, I don't know, the plan. <laughs> Civics is not even taught in our schools, you know, <laughs> and unless you're taking, you know, dance classes or gifted classes, you yeah. know, our children are not exposed. So it's like, it keeps, you know, the cycle going. And in order for us to truly, you know, be uh, educated on the topics, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's really sad, but, uh, I mean, to me, at the end of the day, it's just like as organizers, you know, also taking that responsibility in our hands, you know, and holding ourselves accountable. If I like, you know, expect, you know, to hold now that I'm a, an elected official, right? <laughs> it feels so weird. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm accountable to what? No. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm proud of um, having an incredible team and a uh, campaign manager that I love. And uh, it's, uh, no, it's, it's amazing, you know, and it's just, you know, for us as organizers, you know, to, to hold ourselves accountable in the sense of like, if we are angry at the system and I don't blame people for being angry because, you know, I, I, I deal with that. I struggle with that, you know, because losing my mother, you know, was really like, really, um, yeah really really hard in the sense that you know my oldest daughter tells me mom don't like you know punish yourself this way she could have died here in the U.S. you know like I said yeah but it's just like the fact that she self-deported because we were not able you know me myself as a naturalized citizen uh, to be able to uh, get her some protection right uh, and she decided to, to leave. And the reason that she did it when is because uh, one of my brothers was very sick and uh, she, he was in the brink of death. So she said, As, you know, I cannot leave my son. It's mi hijo, it's mi hijo. But um, in her honor, you know, I, I, I will do what needs to be done. And I feel like uh, as a community, you know, we have an obligation to, to ourselves to get engaged and, to the people that, you know, are faith leaders, to people that operate, you know, in that space, that it's time to step it up. It's time to step it up and to, um, to understand what needs to be done, but to hold ourselves accountable. What are we doing, Edwin? What am I doing? If I'm not doing something, then what's the point of it? 
right? I, I agree with you. And I, it, it it's really horrible. Uh, I, I've, I've been witness, my family has gone through this and, and my heart breaks for you. I, and it, this is what drives so many of us. You know, I think it's, it's important, like you mentioned, the education and the need for it, because so many people don't have a chance to, to have some instruction on, on how this kind of work is done. But what would that look like? I think we should talk about that and, and what people can do about that. Absolutely. I mean, uh, let's not have the same, you know, uh, division and hate in uh, ignorant rhetoric, you know, that has kept, uh, you know, comprehensive Im immigration reform to be a reality. Um, we need to continue organizing. I mean, organizing, but understanding what is, uh, what is real, right? Uh, look at our own, like as I, as I mentioned, Edwin, look in our own backyard. Look, you know, I, I live in Minneapolis, you know, uh, my city is a very progressive city. I mean, we are in the core of, you know, the, the movement when it comes to social justice issues, right? We have many, many problems going on right now, Edwin. But I'm also very, very hopeful, you know, for what Minneapolis can be, which is to me, in a way, an example to not only the nation, but to the world. So uh, I know that, you know, like comprehensive immigration reform, you know, when Trump got elected, you know, many of us got to the streets and started organizing because we knew what was coming. And one example that I can give you is that like when we don't understand and we don't see because we are operating within this little space of like, you know, we want this, but now, and I'm like, okay, well, Donald Trump got elected. So who's the enemy here? I think uh, we need to get rid of our sheriff. And people look at me like, they were looking at me like, what do you mean? But does that have anything to do with it? <laughs> and they're like, because Donald Trump has his followers and he has his minions. And if people like our previous sheriff continue being in that position of power, he basically opened the doors, you know, uh, to um, immigration. They were like painting, kill you not, Edwin, a little room in our county jail because the jail is run by the county, not the city, right? Even though we are a sanctuary city, so you're, you know, stopped by the police, you don't have a license or something happened that you get apprehended by the city police, even though we are a sanctuary city, uh, our community members were being turned to the sheriffs and mm -hmm. that entity is run by the county. So I'm like, we need to get rid of Cherry Stanek. And I'm gonna say his name because I am so proud that finally people were able to understand that within our own city, we were able to influence a race and to get rid of a very racist sheriff to elect you know, the very first gay sheriff in town. <laughs> Not that that, you know, like it you know, makes a difference, but to me it's, you know, that's, that's Minneapolis, Edwin, that's my city. Versus when, you know, I lived in Florida, in Bradenton, you know, uh, that my um, uh, congressional, you know, representative from Buchanan, very, you know, uh, anti-immigrant, I would say racist too. 
pardon me, but it is what it is. You know what I mean? So keep it real and uh, make sure that we do organize with a clear vision that if people are not gonna be working for our issues, to me, there's no compromise at when. No compromise, zero whatsoever. And that is in the, in the honor of not only my mother, but you know, hundreds and thousands of people that have died, you know, at the border and have died, you know, being uh, in the shadows. Uh, I, I love the example that you gave of law enforcement because so much of that gets neglected. Uh, you know, the sheriff races, uh, the, the defense attorneys, the attorney general races, and that has a huge impact on minority communities. You know, and it's important to organize community, right? Of course, to go to all of these different, like we talked about the vigil and, and the faith groups and law enforcement and all of these different uh, constituencies in your community. And then of course you need to do the advocacy work in the state legislature. And it, it takes time and experience to learn how to organize and make sure that you continue to do the pressuring during legislative session, right? And there's groups that are good at, at one or the other, you know, but so many groups then neglect the people's power. They take the excuse that, oh, well, I'm a 501c3. So we like, you're a community leader first, whatever the community needs of you. So we know like if rich people are forming 501c4s and they're forming political action committees, why can't poor people and especially poor people's community organizers, we've got to organize and make sure that the people's representative power, the power of government, that the thing that can regulate this 21 per year, trillion per year, economy and all of that corporate power, the power to regulate that, the power to spend, I think it's like 3.5 trillion or more yearly. We have the ability to organize our rightful influence over that. And even those who are undocumented, like my mother, she would organize in her church, help organize, especially she, she was, I remember you know, her especially organizing women in the church and the, the power that they were able to exert with their neighbors is a real thing. And we have an obligation to help people leverage their everyday connection to the power that they have. Our bodegas, our iglesias, you know, our, our, the, our allies to connect with that power at least as well. Like it cannot be that corporations are more interested in having power, that kind of power, than our community organizers. Like we, we've got to do better. And that's the beauty of like, you know, what for progress is, honestly, you know, I mean, what we are and what we are doing, you know, like here in Minnesota, you know, I live in Minneapolis, but uh, I'm helping to organize uh, in the congressional districts that are very vulnerable and that uh, we need to ensure that we do, you know, keep those seats. So that's at the end of the day, you know, like how I channel my frustration, my anger, my pain into doing something, you know, constructive uh, on a daily basis. So keeping it real, keeping it real, but uh, otherwise I would just go crazy. <laughs> no, but people, people want connection. They want to make a difference. If someone wants to learn more about that campaign, 
how can they learn more? Absolutely, yes. Thank you for asking. Uh, uh, visit uh, our webpage forprogress.org slash C-I-R now. C-I-R, it spells C as in cat, I as in I, R as in Robert, now. So it's uh, forprogress.org, C-I-R now. I feel like I'm like, hello. <laughs> get engaged you know like really come and see because I mean I'm very proud of uh, the work that we have done for for my goodness over a decade uh Edwin you know I remember you know back in Florida when was it uh my goodness uh 2012 2011 my gosh I'm getting old <laughs> when we were able to to mobilize you know in working in collaboration uh, uh, with FLEC and many other organizations uh, to come to Tallahassee, to the state capitol, to, to stop uh, the copycat uh, Arizona style law that was knocking in our door. And it was my state senator at the time. Uh, his name is uh, Mike Bennett that was uh, proposing this uh, racist law. And I, I mean, it's just, I just don't understand what has happened to Florida. And that's just even one example. And, uh, you know, I'm not criticizing, you know, our brothers and sisters in the movement, but uh, I, I will keep it real. We need to take responsibility for ourselves and things are not, uh, people are not being elected that need to be elected. What is it that we're doing? And, you know, if we cannot put our, our time and effort, contribute. So visit our webpage, get engaged, understand the incredible work that we are doing and continue to do, and yeah, make a difference. Oh, I want to thank you for your leadership in that campaign back in 2013, 2012. Um, over 14 congressional districts had organizing of over 200 events to bring people together to plan and then to mobilize for comprehensive immigration reform. And I, I'm just, I'm so grateful to you. Thank you so much for your insights, for how uplifting your passion on this issue is. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Adriana. Uh, I wanna um, just let you know um, how proud I am also of your service now as an elected official. Gracias, it's an honor. And uh, let's keep moving para adelante. Let's keep moving forward, <laughs> para adelante, para adelante and uh, make a difference, you know? We only live once and what's the legacy that we leave behind? Let's work for a better uh, nation, <laughs> better world and to make an, an impact in others. I thank you. Uh, and of course, I wanna thank everyone who's joined us on Media for Progress. If you like the discussion, please subscribe, share and comment via social media. Let's keep the conversation going.